He lays his retirement account on the altar. His IRA, his 401k called Isaac. And God goes, wow, I'm going to reward that. I'm going to bless that obedience. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Maybe you're suffering, and you just got more questions than answers. Understand this, as one person once said, where Jesus put a period... Don't allow the enemy to start putting question marks. Where Jesus puts the period in your life and says, I've redeemed you, I've bought you, I've saved you. Don't allow the enemy to put question marks. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and God, I think about that song that I will build my life upon. Father, the reality is everyone in this room, myself included, we are all building our life on something. The question is, who or what are we building upon? Got to pray that just today you would do a mighty work. Got to pray as we've gathered here today that, that we'd be all about your mission, which is your glory. And so, Father, would your glory just rise above us right now is our request. As we sing, as we teach, as we give, as we fellowship, God, we want your glory above everything else. Just everything else. We want your glory. God, my prayer is that as our church continues on the mission of the gospel, that I pray that the fear of you, the fear of God would take over this community. God, we know the beginning of wisdom is the fear of you. So would you give us a holy awe, fear, and reverence of you right now? God, don't allow us to play around with you, but help us to have a holy awe, fear, and reverence. God, bend us, break us, shake us, wake us up. Whatever needs to happen spiritually, God, I pray that it happen right now. That we might be on mission for the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we open your word, I pray the Holy Spirit would illuminate like only he can do. There is something powerful when the Holy Spirit breaks through. And so that's our request. In my life and every life here today, God, I pray that Holy Spirit have your way. Move in power. Break through whatever we're dealing with today. And we'll be quick to give you, Father, all the praise, all the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen, amen. Take that Bible, turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 as we are diving back into the back half, the last part of James 2, which is exciting. And so James 2, we're looking at here verses 25 through 26. James 2, 25 through 26, and you'll see there in your sermon notes that the title is part of our second part of the series that we've been looking at regarding this question, if you will, of obedience. What's the big deal? Now, for you parents who have children, you know that obedience is a big deal. And all the parents said... Amen, right? Well, it doesn't differ in our relationship with God our Father. But I want to ask that question again. Obedience, what's the big deal? But then I want to dive a little deeper into a subtitle of, can God really use me? Can God really use me? Ask yourself that question right now. Can God use you? Do you believe He can use you? Do you believe He can take a broken life and not just super glue it back together with a bunch of cracks still in it, but completely transform it from the inside out. Do you believe God has the power to do that? 
I believe he does. And so here in James chapter 2, as we prepare to read this, I want us to I just think about a thought that has been stirring in my mind all week, and, and here's the thought, and the thought goes something like this, that I believe that God right now in 2020, on this day, I believe God is desperately trying to get our attention. I believe God is trying to get our attention. I think we are in God's passive judgment right now as we continue as a country to to move him to the fringes of our lives, even kick him out of our lives. And I believe God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to shake us up and say, wake up, and you can no longer afford to live in this apathy and indifference towards me. And the thought occurred to me that God often interrupts us, doesn't he? You guys ever been in a situation where God has interrupted you? And then I thought, I said to myself, I asked the question, Will God interrupt me? But then I recalibrated and said, wait a minute. The question is not, will God interrupt me? The real question is this, will I obey God? Will I obey God when he interrupts me? So many people that I talk to are wondering about God and what's he up to and will he interrupt their plans? But the real question is not, will he interrupt your plans? The real question is, will you obey him when he interrupts your plans? When he's trying to get your attention, get you and I recalibrated back onto his path, his schedule, his plan, will you and I obey him when he interrupts us? Well, we're going to see today what happens when God interrupts. And so here it is, James chapter 2, looking at verse 25 and 26. And in the same way, so don't miss that, we're going to talk about that phrase, was also Rahab the prostitute, not a misprint, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? 26, very key, here it is, here's the the dagger. For as the body apart from the spirit, little s, not capital S, is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So let me read this again, make sure we're tracking two simple verses. So verse 25 here again of James 2, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them about on their way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now look up at verse 20 to show us our context. So remember in verse 20, James comes swinging out of the gate and he says, look, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Not a compliment in case you're wondering. That faith apart from works is useless. So foolish, he's saying, look, I want to make a point, James is saying, that that when you are living in this mindset that that you can just live with an external faith, uh, an external profession that you know, you did this at the age of six, and it was great, and it was glorious, and everyone got excited, and we ordered a cake that had your name on it, and it was so much fun, but, but there hasn't been any heart change. There hasn't been a life that's been transformed. He literally is saying, you're a foolish person. That It's useless. It's void. It's devoid of wisdom. It's devoid of understanding. There has to be heart change, he's telling his believers. And he's pleading with them to make this point. And he says, look, I'm going to give you three examples. I'm going to show you three examples of what faith in action, faith alive, really looks like. So he pulls number one, Abraham, Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? Wouldn't we love to sing that song as kids? Well, he pulled from that because he's talking to a Jewish audience, and they know who Father Abraham is. And he says, look, here's the deal. Look at Abe, and look what he did. Man, he takes his only son, the inheritance, and says, I'm willing to give what's most important to me because I want to follow an obedience more. I don't want to be just a sayer. I want to be an obeyer. And he says, look, I'm going to do this to such an extreme. I'm going to be willing to sacrifice what's most precious to me, but also what my inheritance is. That takes great faith, doesn't it? I mean, that takes a lot of faith for you and I today to put our retirement account on the altar, doesn't it? For some of us, it doesn't take much faith. You're not pastors, so you don't get that joke. But 
for you that have a big retirement account, you, it takes a lot of faith, right? Well, I'm not giving that. He lays his retirement account on the altar, his IRA, his 401k called Isaac. And God goes, wow, I'm going to reward that. I'm going to bless that obedience. And then he comes here to these two verses today, and he goes from Father Abraham, James does, to Rahab the prostitute. Wow, oh wow. You talk about the pendulum of grace. Aren't you glad for the pendulum of grace? And here's what he says in 25 again as we unpack it together. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified, declared righteous by works, by obedience, by action, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So again, he goes, look, foolish man, you're not getting this. So let me give you three examples. Here's Abraham. Now I'm going to go to Rahab the prostitute. And wasn't she also justified by her faith? Because you got to understand the context. Rahab the prostitute, when she sent those messengers out a different way, when she took the, the spies and hid them and sent those that were looking for them on another way, she did this at great risk. Like this wasn't one of those deals where, hey, there's going to get a slap on the wrist. James is speaking to a Jewish audience, and he's told them, remember, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, if you remember in our study, he says, hey, wait a minute, no partiality. You can't have this inside your church. You can't be looking at the poor guy and saying, hey, you know, you go in the corner, you sit at my feet, you're worthless, you're scum. Oh, rich guy, wait a minute. Hey, you can do something for me. Uh, I need to get a deal this week and, and get my quota and my sales up. So I like you because you got something to offer. My motives are impure. They're being revealed for what they really are. I really, really like you, but poor guy, you got nothing to offer to me. Get out of my way. You can't have it. It will create division, discord. It will reveal a heart. It will reveal a heart that is not God-honoring. And that goes with racism. And any other discrimination that goes on. And James says, look, I just told you about this in chapter 2, 1 through 13. Now I'm in 25. Do you think it's any coincidence that he pulled Rahab the prostitute into this? Holy Spirit led, of course, divine inspiration. I don't think there's any coincidence he now brings in Rahab the prostitute to show, wait a minute, can God really save that person? But we do that at times, don't we, if we're honest? Don't we do it? Well, it's easy to judge, isn't it? We look at that person and that person, and boy, they're a real wreck. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God can pull this one off. I don't know, though. And right here we see that Rahab the prostitute, the harlot, is involved in this grace redemption story called Scripture. That's why it's so important in your key number one. I want you to write this down as we springboard into this. Write down key number one in your notes. God often uses the people we least expect to accomplish His purposes for His glory. Write that down. Key number one. God often uses the people we least expect to accomplish His purposes for His glory. One of the things that evangelicalism that's been going on now for years is if we're not careful, we're more interested in building our brand. And it can get really easy to get sucked into that trap, right? But people start clapping for you and telling you how great you are. And you start reading your own press. And that can happen to any one of us that we forget that it's about the name that's above every name, not our name. It's about the kingdom of God, not my kingdom, not your kingdom. And here is a clear example that God's going to use one of the most least likely people to accomplish just not his purposes for Joshua and the kids of Israel, but we're going to see there's a redemption story here that goes right through Rahab the prostitute. Matter of fact, I want you to take your Bible and just hold James 2, but turn to Joshua chapter 2. So Joshua chapter 2, it's in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 2. And as I was thinking about that, 
It talks about Rahab and these spies. Now, I want to read this just to give us some context so you, you really understand what's being risked here. Think about this. If there's, if there's not a risk involved, does it really take much faith? Process that for a moment. If there's not a lot of risk, is there really much faith that needs to be exhibited? That's why I argue that God typically calls us to something much bigger than ourselves for the sole purpose that we got to depend and lean on Him, because if He calls us to something that we can accomplish in our own strength, what's the need for Him, right? I mean, if He just calls us to stuff that, hey, we can do in our own talents and abilities, which, by the way, He gave to us, What's the need for him? He calls us to something bigger than we are. He's calling our church to something bigger than we are. We're not here on this corner just to pay property taxes. I mean, we're here on this corner for a mission. And our mission is the glory of God to be disciples of Jesus, that make disciples of Jesus. We've got hundreds of homes all around us. If the date is correct, there's thousands of people right here in the general area that do not know Jesus, have never given their lives to him. Thousands, if the date is correct. We're right here as a lighthouse, as a beacon of hope. Can God use you in that process? Is obedience really important? Here's what Rahab says about that through her life. So Joshua chapter 2 Verse 1, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, just pause there for a minute. So kids of Israel uh, coming into the land, just ragtag bunch. Just picture this. I mean, bad news bears on steroids. I mean, these guys, gals, no idea what's going on. And and they're going to take on Jericho. I mean, that's like me... And, you know, the deacons taking on, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like, it's ugly. Like, it's running clock before the game even starts, right? This makes no sense. God doesn't operate according to what makes sense. He operates according to what gives him the most glory. And what gives him the most glory is when he uses the impossible, so to speak, to accomplish big things for his glory. So they're taking on Jericho, and I love this. It says... And they went out and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told of the king of Jericho. So they bring the king in on this. Doesn't sound too positive. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. When the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men were, they went out and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. She's obviously acting very covertly on behalf of the Lord in this plan. Then this is what it says. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. The gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, here's what's really key. Look at this next verse, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came into the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I love that. I know the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear, there it is, of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, and whom you devoted to destruction. Here it is, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Pause there. Amen. That's an amen verse, isn't it? 
Here Rahab is. Here's the picture. She's a prostitute. She's a Canaanite woman. She's a Gentile. Jewish spies come in. I mean, these two things already don't mix. They come in and she now sees the glory of God because she's already heard about the glory of God. See, when God's working, news travels fast, amen? And and that's the deal here. And that's what I want to see in my life and your life and our church, that, that news will begin to travel fast. That people will be wondering, what's going on in Enon Baptist Church? What is God doing? There's something going on over there. Man, we're hearing the buzz all throughout the community. And she heard about it. The heart's melted, she said. You understand this? That when you flip over, flip over for just a moment to Joshua 6. Look at just one verse in Joshua 6. Just turn to your right there, unless you've got a left-handed Bible. Just turn to the right. Joshua 6. Look at this. I love this. Verse 17. This is the fall of Jericho. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only who? Not a trick question. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who were with her in her house shall live. Why? Why? Because she hid the messengers whom we sent. You understand this, church? Her faith was real to the extent that she did something. See, God's asking me and you to do something. He's not asking us to show up on a Sunday morning and check it off the list. He's asking us to do something, to live a life to the people out there all around this church building, the people at work, in your neighborhood. He's asking us to live the life that we are professing has been transformed. Because a transformed life that lives will preach a thousand sermons. By the way, do you know this? You, think about what you're going to do tomorrow, where you're going. Work, friend's house, family member's house, out to eat, fill in the blank. You are going to touch people that I will never touch. Like if you're waiting for the pastor to touch the people that need to be touched, we're going to be waiting a long time, amen? But when you and I band together and we all go out as one army on one mission, the glory of God, be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus, that's inspiring to people. They want to be a part of something excellent. They want to be a part of something that's growing and vibrant. They want to be a part of something that there's clarity. And listen here, church, we have clarity. We know where we're going. We are following Jesus Christ. And we're going to go make a difference. Some people go, well, what if you fail? Failure is not an option. You say, what do you mean? Well, think about this. How can you fail when you're obedient to God? When you're obedient to God, you can't fail. Oh, in the eyes of the world, you may. But in the eyes of God, you can't fail. When you are obedient to God, he will call you to a task that's bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than our church. And that's the whole point of faith, that we begin to faith them that we put our money where our mouth is and we say, man, God, we're trusting you. We know you're going to do a work. We know you brought us here. We know you have us here for such a time as this, God. We know you're in the miracle salvation business. God, use us for your glory. If you can use a prostitute, you can use us. Amen. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I was thinking through that even further because I know you're probably wondering, well, okay, you piqued my interest, good. Well, how about Hebrews eleven thirty one? Just write that down. Don't turn there. Just write that down in the little lines that say supporting verses. So Hebrews eleven thirty one. So Hebrews 11, what do we call that in Scripture? Do you know that chapter, Hebrews 11? Does anyone know? The hall of faith. So in Hebrews 11, verse 31, here's what it says. By faith, who? Rahab, the what? Prostitute. 
did not perish with those who were disobedient. Did you catch that word? Disobedient? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab is in the hall of faith. I mean, this just shows the mighty majesty and grace of God. That in the hall of faith of all the people throughout Scripture, all through these glorious pages of Scripture, who could have been in the hall of faith? She's one. Why? Because her faith was real. Her faith had action. I would love to see the whole narrative. Scripture is silent, but can you imagine all the narrative of her changed life? Can you imagine where she's telling all her friends, boy, God took my mess and turned it into a message. Boy, he took my trials and and turned it into triumph. He took my brokenness and created the breakthrough. He took my setbacks and turned them into comebacks. That's what the Lord does. He's called us just not to gather together in a bunker on Sunday morning. He's called us to the battlefield to go make a difference. And that's what's so exciting about the true believer's life. You now have the Holy Spirit living with inside of you. He indwells you. So everywhere you go, you are going with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Now we can quench and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But we have the power living with inside of us to go accomplish the mission. And the mission will always be bigger than what we can accomplish in ourselves. That way God gets the glory. Last thought on this first point, right now Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. So this is the, the bow on the box, so to speak. The bow on the bag. So here it is, Matthew 1, 5. So you're wondering, okay, this Rahab, so obeyed, faith, spies, saved, go into the land, they take over Jericho. By the way, what a great game plan, amen? Hey, here's your game plan. Don't take like any artillery with you. Just like run around the fortress and start yelling at it. And boom, there it goes, right? That's how big God is, amen? Yeah, just, just run around it a few times, seven times there, and to yell at it, and boom, there she goes. Well, here's what happens, though, in Matthew 1, 5. This is the genealogy of Jesus, so the genealogy. You guys know what genealogies are? You guys are probably on Ancestry.com as we speak. Here it is. So that's not the fish, but Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, hmm, interesting, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Do you understand this, church? This is how big the grace of God is. The genealogy of the Messiah, God incarnate, who comes to this earth, who came to this earth, runs through a prostitute. This is absolutely astounding. This is how big and deep God's grace is. I've talked to people over the years say, you don't understand, preacher. You don't understand what I've done. I said, I don't care what you've done. I understand this, though, that the grace of God, if you're willing to repent and turn from your sin and no longer walk that way, the grace of God is deeper and bigger than any sin you've ever created or committed. That's how big His grace is. And he's showing off his glory. He's saying, you think I can't use you? Watch who I'm using in the genealogy of the sinless land that takes away the sin of the world. That's how big our God is. Can God use you? Ask yourself that question right now. Can God use you? Does obedience really matter? Is it really that important? What's the big deal with obedience? We'll look here in verse 26. So here's what it says, our last verse for today. So he gives one final example. Abraham, number one, Rahab two, and here's number three. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, So picture this. So how many of you are here today? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you. Okay, all right. Uh, You're here in a body, right? So, you know, you got a body and you have a spirit, a little s, not a big s, but the little s, your spirit. So if the spirit departs from you, what happens? The body's dead. When I do a celebration of life service for a believer that's now in the presence of Jesus, one of the things I'll typically say is, 
as that casket is in front of us, I'll say, you know, before us here lies a, a shell. It's just a shell. There's no one in there. There's just a shell. That's all it is. And oh, by the way, I'll tell them if that person has given their life to Christ, that person that was there is right now, like right now, if they've given their life to Jesus, it's true, it's real, not a charade, not a sham, not a show, but it's real. That person right now is more alive right now than ever before. Like, they're in the presence of Jesus. I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, they're in the presence of Jesus. I don't know about you guys, I can't wait to get in the presence of Jesus so I don't sin anymore, amen? Like, I can't wait to be free from this body of death. So you got this shell. My concern is all across America right now on Sunday morning, I believe we have droves upon droves of people sitting inside of churches who are spiritual corpses and who think they're on their way to heaven. Because they were told when they were seven years old, they raised a hand, said a prayer, signed a card, did the cartwheel, got dunked, and poof, Hocus pocus, you're in the club. And there's been zero life change. Jesus never in Scripture changes someone's heart and life and then, oops, didn't accomplish what I hoped to. When it's a changed life, there's sanctification, so there's still a struggle with sin, but there's a changed life. And here we see this so clearly. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead. So here's key number two. I want you to write this down. Last key. Here it is. Key number two. Key number two. No matter how much, no matter how much we claim to know Jesus, if our lives are not producing evidence of obedience, the faith we profess is dead. Let me say that again. No matter how much we claim to know Jesus, if our lives are not producing evidence of obedience, the faith we profess is dead. Dead faith will never save. Dead faith is dead. Matter of fact, we know this from Ephesians. We were dead in our trespasses, but God, right? Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who's rich in mercy, amen? Rich in mercy, He's rich in mercy towards you and me, that, that He's lavished His love upon you and me. And we no longer have to be slaves of sin, but we're now slaves of righteousness. We're slaves to obedience. We, we want to do this, not out of coercion. I mean, who wants to keep playing in the sewer, amen? Why would anyone want to go back to the darkness you used to walk in? I've never met one person who's walking in truth say they want to go back to the darkness, I've met a bunch of people who are walking in darkness. As Proverbs says, they don't even know what makes them stumble. Hey, I'm in for Jesus. Tell me what's going on in your life. Nothing. Do you want to obey Him? No. Do you love Him? No. Do you want to serve Him? No. What are you doing? Well, this is what they told me. It's just a bunch of nonsense that has infiltrated the Western American church. And we got to get back to Scripture. Scripture is very clear. Faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. Not for the salvation. You don't got to work for it. It's from a life that's been changed. A life that's truly been changed, you don't have to talk yourself into, hey, I got to be obedient. No, you want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. I don't always do it. I still struggle. I still sin. But there's a contrition there. There's a brokenness. There's a disgust some days, to be quite blunt with you. Man, there's some days where it's like, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Ever read that one before? But praise be to God, amen, who delivers us, who frees us, who gives us unmerited favor and forgiveness. I made a couple notes here. I made this one note. It, it really struck me, but I, I wrote the word down, principle, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. And this is what I wrote down, just in some quiet time of reflection I said, we take action on that which we truly believe in. I mean, just think through that for a moment. If you and I really believe in something, a cause, you believe in a whatever, ball team, 
a political movement, fill in the blank, go on and on. When you really believe in it, what do you do? Well, you take action. When you believe that your boss says, if you don't show up tomorrow, you're going to get fired, you take action, don't you? What about the spiritual realm? We say we believe in it. I hear this often. I believe, I believe, but I just don't want to be committed. Huh? I believe, I believe, I believe, but I I don't want to be committed. Like, how did those two things even coexist in the same sentence? You believe in the one who took your place, who was executed, who died a cruel, vile death, was marred beyond recognition, sped upon, beaten, whipped, scourged, tortured, humiliated. You believe it, but you don't want to commit to it. That's the whole challenge. we got this intellectual belief that at times goes to an emotional belief, but it never goes to an act of the will where the heart gets rocked and ripped and gripped. It's no longer the same. It gets totally turned over to Christ. That thought was just stirring in my mind. And I thought of a few verses I wanted to give to you. Write down John 14, 15. Pretty easy to remember, John 14 and then 15. If you love me, Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. Pretty simple, right? Just straight to the point. If you love me, so if you profess and say, man, I love Jesus, the question is, do we obey him? Are we keeping his commandments? That's what he's asking. That's what he's saying. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey if you really love me. Not a profession of intellectualism, not even one of emotionalism, but if you really love Jesus, there will be just not an act of the will, but the will will act because the will has been changed. See, that's the disconnect in all this. It's hard to act on the will when the will's never changed. But when the will is changed, you got a child who's rebellious. I know you guys probably have never dealt with that in your life, amen? you got to break that will, don't you? That's part of it. You do it lovingly, but you're breaking the will. God's got to break our will spiritually. Man, we can be stiff-necked and rebellious. And God's saying, I'm trying to break your will. I'm trying to get your attention. The, the issue is not, will he interrupt your plans? The issue is, when he interrupts, will you obey? That's the question. I thought about another scripture reference. It's 1 John and chapter 3. Actually looking at verses 3 through 6. So 1 John 3, 3 through 6. It says this, and, and by this we know that we have come to know Him, capital H, Jesus, if we keep His commandments. There's an obedience again. You see this all throughout Scripture. Whoever says, I know Him, so here we go, we got sayers, right? Whoever says, I know Him, got a lot of that going on all over our country, but does not keep His commandments is a liar who doesn't obey. So we've got a bunch of sayers, not a whole lot of obeyers. Here's what Jesus thinks according to His Word. Those people are liars, not a compliment, in case you're wondering. And the truth is not in him. See how serious this is? It just dawned on me when I'm thinking through this. The level of our faith being serious will be equally equated to how seriously we view him. I mean, when we seriously view what he did, when we seriously view that God gave his only begotten son, like, I'm not giving any of my kids for you. Like, it's not happening. I already shared that with you, I think even just last week. Let me say it again. There's no way it's happening. Like, you're awesome. You're great. I'm glad I'm here. It's not happening. Amen. Let's close the service. Praise Jesus, right? Like, it's not happening. Aren't you glad that God didn't look at me and you and go, hey, way to go. You made your bed. You sleep in it. No, he gave his only begotten son. When we begin to view that alone, just that alone, we quoted, it's in the goalpost at ball games, praise God, John 3, 16. But when we begin to understand what that really means, the truth, the fidelity, the aletheia, so to speak, behind that, when we see that, here's what happens. Man, our eyes will be opened. And we will no longer look at Jesus as just some fuzzy dice around our mirror. No, He becomes our life, and that's the whole point. He wants to become your life. Just not an add-on, not a good luck charm, 
Not someone you, you know, kind of buddy up to every now and then. He wants to take over your life. That's the point of total surrender. And I love what he says there in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, you see that phrase a lot, by this. By this we may know that we are in him. That's a great point. If you want to know if you're in him, right there it is. Whoever says he abides, anchored to, journeying with, in him ought to walk, live, obey in the same way in which he walked. He said, give me one more example. All right, I will. Matthew 5.16, Sermon on the Mount, salt and light. Matthew 5.16, here it is. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give you glory, period. Amen? Is that what that says? I don't think so. I think I misread that. Let me read that again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, your obedience. Why? And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So if you look at me and I look at you and we both look at each other and go, man, you're awesome. (laughs) You're amazing. We've totally missed the whole point. Because I'm not amazing. I'm a wretch. I'm a work in progress. Man, I stumble, fumble, crumble, mumble, whatever else rhymes. Amen? That's the cliff notes of my life. Like, I'm a mess a lot of times. And yet God's still working on me. And the reality is, so anything good in me, anything good in me is of Him. Like, anything good in me is of Jesus. And that's the whole point, that, that the Word of God, church, that the Word of God would dwell in us richly. That it would dwell so richly within my heart and mind and soul, that it would, it would dwell, that it would anchor there, that it would reside there in such the way, here's the deal, that when people see that in you and me, they don't even see you and me, they just see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that's when they go, I need that. That's the point of being the light of the world. You say, okay, well, I need a takeaway question. So here's the takeaway question. Does what I do in action reflect what I say with words and vice versa? Just truthfully ponder that for a moment. I know you're writing it down, but I want you to ask that because I was marinated on that one this past week. I wrote it down. I said, John, does what I do in action reflect what I say with words and vice versa. And as I began to unpack that in my mind, several questions began to flow as I began to really honestly, honestly address that question. So here's the remaining questions I began to ask myself. And I want you to ask yourself right now. Truthfully, from the day that you profess Jesus, are you truly growing in your faith? Like, can you sit here today and say, hey, it's not perfect, but I'm growing. I'm making progress forward. How does the new you who claims to be in Christ differ from the old you? So you profess to know Jesus 10 years ago, and people see you now, do they go, who are you? Who kidnapped the old you? I don't even recognize you. And then I listed six questions that danced back and forth between two concepts, and here they are. Number one, do you love the concept of giving glory to God in all that you do? Do you love the concept? I would say all of us do. Like, we love the concept. But here's the back and forth. Are you giving glory to God in all that you do? We love the concept. We like to say it and talk about it. But are we doing it? Are we obeying it? Number two, Do you love the concept of becoming a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you love the concept? Oh, we love the concept. It's great. Looks really good in a mission statement. Amen? Amen? Question though, are you becoming a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? Three, do you love the concept of making disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus? Are you making disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus? Do you love the concept of the Word of God? Do you love the concept? No, we love the concept of the Word. Do you love it? Are you in the Word daily, and is the Word 
of God in you daily? Do you love the concept of communicating with God through fervent, desperate praise, exalting prayer? Do you love the concept? Are you, am I, communicating daily with God through fervent, desperate praise, exalting prayer? And lastly, do you love the concepts of the Christian faith? Do you love the concepts? Are you living out the concepts of the Christian faith? See, that's why the action step is so important, church. It's simple. But here it is. Write it down, action step. I will seek to not just be a sayer of the Word, but an obeyer of the Word. A talk is cheap. The world, I believe the world is waiting for the church to wake up. I believe that. I believe all across America, the world is waiting. They're waiting for us. We talk a good game all across America, but I think they're waiting for us to begin to truly live out this faith. People want something that's real. Listen, church, they're looking for something real that's going to dull the pain and fill the void. If they're trying alcohol and drugs and porn and sex and fill in the blank with everything else, they're on a hopeless cul-de-sac going nowhere. And we got the answer. His name's Jesus Christ. They're waiting. And if all we're doing is talking about it, and they're watching how we're living, they're never going to want what we're professing. But when we live to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, and oh, by the way, as I told a brother this week, as we were discipling with one another, I looked at this brother and I said, do you know that some of the best opportunities to gospel someone else is when you go to that person and you say these three words that are so powerful, I was wrong. Man, you talk about a gospel witness. They're not looking for you to be perfect, but then when we do screw up, when? When we do mess up and we go, man, brother, sister, man, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I've been in situations where like the air goes out of the room in a good way. You're like, did that just happen? That's amazing. Because what happens in the world? I'm not wrong. You're wrong. Here we go, right? Back and forth, back and forth. We humble ourselves. We begin to live the gospel. Not just talking about it. No, we begin to obey it and live it. It will preach a thousand sermons. See, the issue is not will God interrupt your plans. Because I believe for some people right now in the church house, he's trying to get your attention. And he's interrupting your plans. And the sooner we begin to obey as he's interrupting, the sooner we can move on to the next step of the process. <laughs> have you learned that about God? I have. He will keep me at point A as long as I want to disobey. And when I start obeying at point A, all right, John, now I got your attention. Let's move on to point B. You say, what did Solomon say about this? I'm glad you asked. So in Ecclesiastes, let me give you a verse that uh, it's going to be impossible to forget. I already gave you John 14, 15, amen? So let's finish with Ecclesiastes. Solomon there, wise, sinful, but wise, powerful, sinful, the whole mix. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Did you catch that, church? Ecclesiastes 12, help me, 13 and 14, okay? Here it is. Think about this. The wisest narrowed it down to this because he realized all is vanity. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, if I just get to that gated community, it's going to be good. No, it won't. No, it won't. Cliff notes. If I just get the beach house, no, it won't. Sailboat, no, it won't. The more we go on and on though, right? It won't. It will never satisfy. Our hearts are not designed for that to fill the void. That's not how we're wired. We're too busy stuffing all the junk in there that we think is going to bring us the contentment. And Solomon says, here it is. At the end, at the end of his life, here are two things. They're most important things. Fear God and obey Him. That's it. That's the life. That's the life you and I today got to do business with God on. God, am I fearing you truthfully, wholly on reverence? And do I long to obey you? Do I just long to obey you, God? 
doesn't make much of you for the fame of your name as a living sacrifice. Is that you today? Is that me? Is obedience important, church? Can God really use you? The answer is yes and yes. Amen. Father, we love you and we just come before you today. And God, I believe you're waiting for churches all across America today to just to wake up because the real virus is not COVID. The real virus is sin. So God, I'm calling myself. I'm calling everyone in our church. I'm calling us right now to raise the bar, to live for you all the days of our lives. God, time is short. Time is short. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We live like we're going to be here forever. We're just fooling ourselves. We're investing in things that don't even matter. We fill our garages with stuff, thousands of dollars of stuff that could be used for your kingdom to advance the gospel. So God, I'm just praying for my own brokenness right now. And I pray for everyone in the church house today that they'd be seeking you and saying, God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? I want to live a life of significance, you might be saying. I want to live a life that makes impact. I don't want to get to the end with regret. Maybe that's one of the cries of your heart. Well, if you fear God and you obey Him, that's going to be a life well lived. So God, I pray we'd learn from Rahab the prostitute that you can take our mess and create a glorious message. So God, as we come to you in this time of reflection, God, would you speak? Would you speak? But God, don't allow us to disobey. Don't allow us to sit here today and just leave here, get in the parking lot, and forget whatever the Holy Spirit was trying to say to us. God, change us right now, right now, from the inside out. Do something, God. Do something in this room today. Inspire us to do something with our faith. No longer live on the sideline. No longer hang out in the locker room. But get out onto the game field of life and show people that Jesus lives. Oh God, to you be the praise in this time. Stir in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.